Spooky Spouses, a podcast about ghosts and stuff. Are you interested in the paranormal? And then all of a sudden we hear this. Down a hallway, when there's no one else there, I would go, maybe there's a ghost farting around these halls. Intelligent conversations. Uh, we don't know a lot. We were, we don't at all, and we never claim to. Furbies. Do these things so you could essentially kiss the Furby, but you're really kissing your ghost partner. Furbies again a little bit? I don't know. I don't know what you want your Furby for, to but. kiss. <laughs> Biting people? Do you like a food enough to bite middle schoolers for no. it? No. <laughs> Do you? Mystery boxes. A box full of human heads was reportedly stolen from a medical supply truck in Denver on Thursday. Find the Spooky Spouses wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> Excuse me. From the man who brought you Halloween, Halloween Kills, Halloween Ends, Your Highness, and Pineapple Express comes a bleak existential drama about one man's Sisyphean effort to fix all the problems in a small Texas town. We watched Joe this week. What do you say we cut the chit-chat a-hole? I'm a vampire! I'm a vampire! I'm a vampire! Interesting choice of words. What is that? What is that? What is it? Oh, no, not the beat! Not the beat! Oh I'm a pixie pear. <laughs> okay, let's run. Yeah, and I think just at the start, I want to issue a couple of trigger warnings for um, alcoholism, abuse, abusive relationships, suicide. Because uh, this was a bleak movie. And sexual assault. Sexual assault also. Yep. Yeah. For Did sure. <laughs> Just had kind of everything. Not it. No trip in the park. That's for sure. Um, this is the unbearable fate of massive talent. And we brought you a real, uh, a real laugh a minute movie this week. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you know who we are. We don't need to introduce ourselves, right? No, everyone should know who we are by now. Yeah. I'm Brittany. <laughs> You're Liz. <laughs> You're Brittany. Yep, exactly. Um, yeah, so, um, yeah, I've been wanting to watch this one for a while, partially mm-hmm. because um, I it's, like, one of the only, like, big movies that Adrian Mishler from uh, Yoga with Adrian is in. So wild. Yeah. And, I... you know, I like Nicolas Cage, and I had heard this movie was good. It is... It's it's a it's, solid drama, yeah, for sure. Yeah, this is a good film. It's not a fun film. No, and no, this I think, is like a watch once and then like yeah. let it sit in your soul for the rest of your life and never go back. Yes, <laughs> and I so when I this is from twenty fourteen. It's directed as I you know alluded at the beginning by David Gordon Green, um, who has had truly a wild career. Um, and when I googled it. I could see, like, I, I try not to look too much at reviews and things, um, but I could see that most of the Google reviews were either one or five stars. Interesting. And that makes yeah, sense that makes to sense. me. Yes. Well, and I was looking to, I mean, we don't usually do reviews till later, but it's a high score for uh, critics and a lower score for audiences, and that also makes sense to me. I absolutely was going to guess that, because yeah. I was like, it's, 
there's not much of a story to it. And there's not much of a actual, like when you're watching it, you don't really know what the objective is. Like you don't know what story we're plot we're building. There's right. no like, we have to get this thing so we can get another thing. Or I just have to accomplish this thing. It's just like, I'm just surviving day to day. Yeah. And like sort of the overarching story is this 15 year old kid, you know, trying to overcome the issues of having this awful father. It, but that's as much structure as we get. Yeah. And then you have Joe, who's just kind of, like, doing his job. And he is, like, helping people out a little but bit also, here and there. But also, he's, like, a very flawed... Very flawed. Very flawed hero, I would yeah. say. Yeah. Like, very complicated. Flawed, complicated. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a rough movie. It um, is. And through. the other, the, I think that the impetus for us watching it be, is because we recently read an article where Nicolas Cage was talking about his roles, and he said that Joe, the character that he plays in this movie, is the closest to his actual personality of all of the roles that he's played, which is really interesting yeah. now having seen it. Yeah. Because like I said, he's a... I would say mostly good person who is very, very flawed in a lot yeah. of ways. Yeah. Um, and some of those ways, one is that he like, which he sort of explains later, we find out he spent uh, 29 months, 29 months in, in the penitentiary for um, beating up cops who were arresting him and sounds like shooting one in the knee. I think. I think he grabbed the gun when and the forced... cop was trying to shoot him. Yes. And he ended up blasting his kneecap. Got off. it. Okay. But that's also how he tells the story. It's, yeah. And it's hard to say with his relationships with cops. Yeah. Um, because we see him get pulled over two more times in this movie, and he, like, kind of flies off the handle immediately when he's getting pulled over. Yes. <laughs> and just, like, kind of is just, like, pulling that emergency exit, like, I'm going to go on a car chase kind of a uh-huh. thing. Uh-huh. And it seems like, because he has a a good relationship with, like, the sheriff. Yeah, it seems like they might have been old friends or something. Yeah, and there's the reason, I feel like the other cops know not to, like, pull Joe over, or just to, like, let the sheriff know, and the sheriff will just go talk to him or whatever, because he got pulled over twice by this new guy who he immediately, yeah, flew off the handle on. Yeah. Um, And, like, to be fair... He had been drinking and driving. Yes. Because he just does that all the time. The whole time he's drinking and driving. And... He's drinking while driving. Yes. Most of the time. The other strange thing in this film, sort of from... Which, this points to, like, how complicated the script is and how sort of, like, non-traditionally narrative structured Mm -hmm. it is, is that, like, in... Do you know what Save the Cat is? Okay, so the save the cat moment in screenwriting is that at the beginning, at the top, you have your main character. Oh, that's how you you create the hero. Yes, you have them save a cat or help someone or do something at the beginning to be like, oh, this is a good person. We're on their side. And then even if they do mess up stuff later on, then you're still kind of on their side because you saw them save the cat at the beginning. And we kind of get that with the like, save the snake. Yeah, I guess that's what it is, isn't it? I guess, because, like, at the beginning, we see this, um, and I believe it is supposed to be a rattlesnake. It has big old fangs. It has big old fangs. Um, It doesn't have a rattle. It is shaped sort of like a diamondback. 
Um, he and, you know, all of the workers that work for him are freaking out about it. And he just, like, grabs it and sort of, like, jokes about it and then throws it away without killing it. And it's Don't like, hurt nobody, nobody killed a snake. Yeah. That's my friend. And so then, but then later, so I was like, I'm like oh, okay, that's the save the cat. I like that he didn't kill that snake. I'm on a sign. Then later on, he has his dog kill another dog. And... I <laughs> well, he explains about the dog at some part in the movie, um, too. How like it's obviously a dog for protection. Like, yeah, he keeps it outside, guarding the house all the time. But he had some kind of man. People really kind of just like m- kind of mumble and talk fast in this movie. Yeah. And Nicolas Cage like fits in with like I think that we were talking. I think that they hired a lot of local talent for this one. Yes, and so you get a lot of like heavy Texan accents and stuff. And I thought Nick Cage did a great job of like fitting in with the people who were in this movie. Yes, um, but he's like explaining something about the dog, and I don't think I caught all of it. I but mean, he was talking about like you know he doesn't mess with the dogs walking down the street. But uh, <laughs> oh, that oh that my weird God. little thing where he's that explaining weird about speech the dog. Where he was like a good dog on the street and a street dog, and then. You know, you don't mess with the dog on the street. And I just looked at you and was like, what was that? I have no idea. I can't tell you. But um, just another example of, like, the sort of, uh, like, like I said, fitting in with everything else going on in this film. Yeah. Yeah. And and to that point. I think we should assume at all times that everyone's a little drunk and they all have yes. real heavy yes. Texan accents. I think. And, okay, so I did read that. David Gordon Green got his start doing indie films, doing apparently very good indie films, and then started doing, like, stoner comedies. Mm-hmm. And that was doing, like, more horror stuff. Like, he's supposed to direct the remake of The Exorcist um, and is helping with the, like, Hellraiser. I don't know if it meant the movies or the shows. Um, I didn't know there was Hellraiser shows happening. I don't know. They might be doing a Hellraiser show, but they just did a new movie, so I don't know. Uh, but it was... Look... That's a whole nother thing. <laughs> we can't get into that on this podcast. I'll go on about horror for the next hour. Um, but he did start in indie films. And one of the things that I think watching this film is that I think that Nick Cage and the kid are professional. They are. SAG actors. Yeah. And I think that the rest of them were either local actors or just people off the street. Yeah. Literally, in some cases. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because yeah, there's it's this does not feel like a movie that people are acting in. No, these all everyone feels so natural and realistic that it almost is like like I said, everything is you realize like how artificial language is in in, in movies once you see a movie like this where everyone's just talking like a person. The guy with the scars on his face, yeah, also was cast, I believe. Yeah, because uh, he has a lot of credits. I was looking oh, okay. at him. And I, w- I would say the sheriff probably, too. Yeah. And then we know Adrian. Adrian we know Adrian, Yoga. But she's from Austin. But she's so. from Austin, so a local actor. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I think that uh, there were some local actors, and then I bet the guys on the crew mm-hmm. were all just dudes that they found locally. Oh, yeah. Um, And then, of course, we have to talk about Gary Poulter, who was played the dad in this film, and did not act before, and was an unhoused person. And came in and gave a performance that was truly, like, chilling to watch. Yeah, absolutely. He was really good. He was very good. And they did such a good job with, like, so often when you have abusive parents or or abusive partners or, you know, family members in films, it's just, like, they're bad. 
and mean and you don't really like see you don't get a lot of dimension yeah and with him it was like they gave you enough that made you kind of see that like the kid has a choice of becoming like his dad or going in a different direction yeah because you can see that the dad like push like life isn't fair for anyone in this film no and the kid is still trying to like work hard and be a good person and take care of his family and the dad has given up doesn't care about anyone else and is just drinking and hurting people and you get that the scene where they're working together and the dad is just complaining and like Mm -hmm. making trouble and the kid is just quietly working and i don't know he just it was just like it was a really good performance and it's just like so it had so much dimension too because they had between the father and son it was mostly bad, but I thought the thing that gave it a lot of depth was that we had a couple of moments where they're, like, joking around with each other and stuff, too. Yeah. Like, when he's, like, trying to get him to go downtown with him and his dad's like, I don't want to get up. I don't want to do much standing today. I'm yeah. I'm going to teach you how. I'm going to give you a breakdancing lesson. Yeah. And, like, just kind of, like, a interesting, like, kind of charming but still dysfunctional moment between mm-hmm. the father and the son where they're, like, kind of having a good time with each other. Yep. Um, and you can, and even in that scene, you can sort of feel it falling apart when the kid is like trying to keep joking, but also trying to get him to like stand up. Yeah. But doesn't want to like push too hard because he doesn't want him to switch over into like. Oh yeah. Abusive oh, dad move. Mo- yeah. I think you get it a little bit too with um, the very opening scene of the movie, which is the there's a monologue basically where you see the back of the kid's head. And then you, and then the camera's kind of facing uh, Wade, the dad's face, and he's smoking a cigarette and just looking straight ahead the whole time. Yeah. And, uh, like, in that opening speech, you know, he's talking about, um, like, his dad did something, we don't know what. Yeah. Um, And he's talking about how, you know, he'll be sad to see you uh, get beaten up. Because you're my dad, and I know you're my dad, and just kind of, like, this kid, like, really trying to pull him along and, (laughs) like, try to get him to do something and be a Mm -hmm. dad and, you know, stop messing up. And it's just never gonna happen. Yeah. And it's just, like, that's how it starts. Yes. (laughs) So. Yes. Um, And it's a very wild, like, sudden start. Yeah. Of just, like, this kid talking in the back of this man's head, and then he goes and gets beat up by these people. Yep. Um... Yeah, but uh, it's, it's so tragic because that actor, Gary Poulter, died two months after making this film. Yep, from alcoholism. They found him in a in the shores of this lake in Austin. Yeah, um, so that's also a layer on this film yeah. as well. Um, so Nick Cage actually turned down two big budget films to be in this. Really? He was asked to be in The Expendables 3 <laughs> and a movie called Killing Season. And he turned it down to do this film. I don't know Killing Season. I don't either. I know Expendables. Obviously. Um, I think it was the right choice. Yeah. I think that this was be... probably a more fulfilling thing to make. Yes. It would be fun to see him in an Expendables film, but I think for who Nicolas Cage is and the what he likes to do, I think this was obviously the right choice. I thought his performance on this was really good. Yeah. Um, I, um, 
There's an actor. You want to see Nicolas Cage cry and have it feel really natural? Because <laughs> he cries a lot in this movie. Yes. Um, and it's just kind of like adds another layer of hopelessness <laughs> on top of everything. Because there's the part where like after he gets arrested and he's just sitting in the police station and he's just like begging for a cigarette and he's just yeah. like sitting there like kind of a little weepy. And yeah. Like, oh man, this guy's so sad. <laughs> Um, there's a, re- there's a four-star review for this film on, uh, RogerEbert.com by Peter Subsininsky. Never mm-hmm. heard of him. Um, but he talks, I can't find the quote, but he talks about how, like, this is one of Nick Cage's best performances because it doesn't feel like a performance. And I think that, like, yeah, because generally his style, as we've talked about before, is more, like, expressionistic and, like, that big telegraphing of, of, like what you feel and, and things like that. And it's a specific style. Whereas this one, it doesn't, it just feels like a guy. Yeah. And it's so subdued. No, it was definitely like, I was watching it and I was like, I feel like I know somebody like this. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Everyone in this movie feels so real and also strange. It's a strange town. It's, yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Um, and it's just like, they don't introduce people. Like, they're we just could there. walk you yeah. through this plot, but it's just like he goes to someone's house and something happens, and then he goes to someone else's house and he interacts with someone else, and it's not like there's a few big plot points, but mostly it's just like him. Oh yeah, like it was very random and never came back particularly again when he goes into that little shack where they're like butchering the deer. Yeah, and then he just leaves. Oh, and he does get shot, and so that moves get the shot. plot forward yes. a little bit. Um. But, like, I mean, the, the way that I just described it, it's, like, getting shot was, like, important, but not that important. But not that important. I thought he was gonna, he, I thought he was gonna die from that wound, eventually. Like, yeah. because he hit it and he, like, treated himself. It was a new introduction of the conflict that he had with that one guy. Yes. Um, and who, it got like, the, guy the guy with the big scars the on his face. Yeah. Got the guy to the bridge because he's throwing the gun off the Which, bridge. Which, like, I, I don't know his name in the movie. I was called Scarface. Scarface has beef with Joe because Joe slapped him in, in like a, in like a bar in front of a bunch yeah. of people. And this man's ego cannot take it, as we learn. Like anyone who does anything against him, he <laughs> His cannot name is let it go. Willie. Oh, Willie Russell. Yeah, he looks like a Willie. Yeah. Um, and Willie like follows Joe to these people's house, and then when Joe comes outside, he shoots him with a shotgun and takes off. And this man, to let you know, like the kind of I, you know, brain that we're dealing with here and the high level of thinking. This man quickly wipes his prints off of his shotgun, drives to a bridge, then picks it back up and throws it off the bridge with his, with bare, his bare hands. hands. Yeah. <laughs> so he's a real genius. Yeah. Um, and that's when uh, Gary, the kid, sees him um, and does something real dumb. Because, like, he goes over to ask him for a ride yeah. from for him and his dad. And then he brings up that he he's like, why did you throw that gun over the bridge? Yes, I'm like, like, why would you? Kid. You're trying to get something from him. This kid, which I actually think is a smart move, is that they this kid will go from being very mature to acting like a child, which is pretty on point. I yeah. think he's like, supposed to be 15. Yeah, <laughs> he it's obvious his brain is not developed. No. No, his brain is not fully developed. And most of the time, like, he does a good job of trying to take care of his family. I think a really good way they show this is it, the, the movie, he and Joe meet because he's sort of wandering through the woods and comes upon Joe and his crew. Um, 
And the job that they're doing is that they have these axes that have like, like backpacks with like pesticide on it. And Mm -hmm. the backpack runs through the axe. So when you chop into the tree with it and squirt the poison, it poisons the tree and then they'll die. And, um, he's, according to Joe, they were hired to do this so that they could take down these pine trees and then built or, or not built, um, plant, um, stronger pine, pine trees, trees. Yeah. which like makes sense for like furniture building. They do things like this. They, they clear out forests of their natural, um, habitation and instead they, they plant in like the kind of wood that you use to build stuff. Um... And so the kid wanders up and is like, can I work for you? And they say, he says, sure. And, you know, everyone on the crew is, like, being really nice to him and showing him how to do stuff. And they, and, like, he, he is responsible. But we also see, like, him let loose a couple times and be kind of, like, silly mm-hmm. in that scene in a way that felt like a, a adult, like a kid. Yeah. And I thought that was a good way of showing, like, he's trying to be responsible, but also, like, he wants to be a kid and have fun. Mm-hmm. But he can't. Um, yeah, so that's sort of, and then basically the movie is Joe becoming his father figure. Yeah. And his actual father being the worst. Yes. (laughs) Um, yeah. Should we talk about, uh, uh, all of the people that, uh, Joe kind of goes around and helps a little bit? So, like... He goes and he shows him how to butcher that deer, which is kind of weird. It's so weird. That just he just a- wanders into a house and that's all he does is he shows him how to cut the backstrap off of the venison, like uh, yeah. uh, butterfly steaks. They're just, they're butchering this, they have the deer hanging in their kitchen. And, and you see the blind it. guy later in the bar. Yes, he um, is at the bar later. But, uh, yeah, so he wanders into that place and does that and then just leaves. I, think I guess that, he was starting to see when they were going to have another craps game. I guess they. Oh, okay. Maybe I, that's the reason. Why I think he was narratively going. the reason was, and to it was show, the woman's birthday too. Yes, I think narratively that scene is there to show like people love Joe and he helps people out, and also like he's the one who knows how to butcher the deer. Yeah, like the others don't, and so he's the one who shows them how to do it and how he's to cut it into gets steaks. His hands dirty. Yes. You know? And, like, and he's the one who, like, yeah, he takes care of his crew and, and, you know, pays them and treats them well. And, like, we see it over and over again um, that he, like, helps people. Um, and then we have Yoga Adrian. We have um, Yoga Adrian, who is, like, kind of his girlfriend? I don't know. Kind of. He, she's kind the of. closest because she lives kind, with she, him for a while. She clearly wants to be his girlfriend. Yeah. They are sleeping yeah. together sometimes. They're sleeping together and she's always pestering him to take her out. Yes. Um, and she does want to take care of him and she's, it's odd. It doesn't make, it's not clear to me why he won't do those things. Be in a relationship with her because he kind of is, but then he also goes to the brothel sometimes. Yeah. Um, and she's like, I mean, she is half his age. She's half his age. Half his age. But he's also, like, we see her, she comes into the story because her her mom's, like, ex is back. And the ex clearly had, like, either tried to assault her or did assault her. And Joe ran him off, Yeah, it seems. And now he's back. So she's like, can I stay with you? And he says yes. Um, the guy at the grocery store, they joke around a lot. Coleman. Coleman, yeah. It's he not, collects military paraphernalia. I think paraphernalia. That they're friends. Yeah. They're friends. He's not one of the uh, people Joe helps, but he seems no. like, um, I know that, like, uh, 
it seems like uh, he told um, Gary the kid to go to Coleman's. To I think get that's help. where he picks up the crew every day. It is where he picks up the crew every right. day. Right. So he was just like, be here with the rest of the crew and I will drive you to work and you can work for me. Because he also like buy coffee for the crew in the morning. But I think he also, when they're going at the end of the movie, tells him to go and get Coleman if anything goes bad. Yes. Yeah. Um, I do love the bit where Coleman tells him that like, I didn't get, again, because the accents are just like, what's going on? But like, he says that he's been giving the proceeds from something to diabetes, diabetes research, research yeah. and then keeping like 30% to buy military paraphernalia for himself. <laughs> and he's got like a pith helmet on and like... Oh yeah, he like walks in, he's wearing the helmet. It's, it's, just, it's just like a weird bit of color in the movie. There's a lot of moments like that. Um, I don't know, who else is... Oh, what was with the lady in the Jeep? We never found that out. Do we? Okay, I have a... Do you think that that's his baby theories. mama, maybe? I would, That was one of my theories, is that yeah. that is his ex. Because it just, like, it's kind of offhandedly mentioned that he has a grandbaby now. Yeah. Yeah, but she was, like, staring and at that, him that, weird. They were that staring is at mentioned three-fourths of the way through the movie, and we didn't even and know never, he had kids. Nope, never, never spoken about again. We didn't know he had kids. We didn't know that he had grandchildren, and the sheriff is just like, heard you got a new grandbaby, and he's like, I do? <laughs> and I said, what's happening with that? It's never mentioned. Um, Yeah, that was weird. So, yeah, my, the lady in the Jeep, I think, was either his ex or uh, the Yoga Adrian's mom. Yeah. But we never find out. They just make eye contact. It seems like they know each other. And they're sort of like bittersweet. Well, not, not even sweet. Just... Sad. They just look at each other and yeah. then they drive off. It's they both they both look kind of sad, and then he they both drive off, and that's yeah. it. Yeah, it was a weird weird little interaction. Yeah, and I thought I saw her again later in the bar, but I'm not sure. But I'm not sure. It, it could was have been dark. Her. It was just for a second. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Um. And then um. Remember when the. I don't even know what... What is Gary's dad's name? Wade. Wade. Remember when Wade killed that poor man? Oh, man. That was... That scene was rough. That was hard to watch. He was, yeah. like, clearly stalking this guy. Because the guy for, had... Because he had a bottle of liquor. Yeah. And he stalks him, and then, like... They have the a man moment is, of is... friendly conversation where he lies about his wife having cancer, and he yes. needs to do directions to this nearby hospital or whatever. It, it felt very much like when someone comes up to you on the street and starts, like, spinning stories like that, and you, it's so awkward because you, like, know they're lying, but, you know, you, you don't know how to get out of the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, or, it, you know, you should, yeah, it's always, like, a tough moment, and this poor man, but, like, the poor man that was obviously unhoused was, like, living in the woods. Yeah. And didn't seem all there. Nope. He just uh, kind of stares at him and nods, and yeah. like, they talk a little bit. He's an older man, and he sort of just, like, nods along and agrees with him. And then and then Wade just, like, picks up a piece of railroad yeah. something and starts beating him to death with it. That and was... not just beat, like, he beats him to death and keeps hitting him. Yeah, that was hard to watch. And then takes the liquor and kisses him on the head. I think he was kind of, like, giving him last rites or something. I think so. Because he, like, places his hands on his head, too. Yeah. And, like, stands there for a second. Yeah, and it never comes back. 
Nope. It's just a moment of like, this is just who this brutal. guy is. and <sighs> Just another instance of Wade using people. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Okay, so I think... Here's my question. Yes. Um... I think the scene when he unleashes the dog on the other dog mm-hmm. is supposed to be a metaphor. And I'm trying to figure out what the metaphor is. Like, is the kid his dog? You know what I mean? Like, in this sort of, or is Wade? I don't know. I think that is Joe is his Joe dog. Joe is the dog. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, I think Joe is the dog okay. in that metaphor. Yeah. Because he is the one that is, like, the protector. Yes. Um, but he can only protect by attacking. Uh, that's how protection usually works, I suppose. Well, defense is not attack. Yeah. If, like, if it was just the dog, like, would attack people who came to the house or something, that's different from, like, taking him someplace to attack people, which yeah. is what he did. Um. Yeah, and I mean, the dog is, I don't know, I feel like he's kind of wandering through life and he doesn't have his shit together at all. Yeah. Um, and he runs from and the, the cops. And the dog escapes. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> like, I think the dog is always Joe. Yeah. Like, protecting his house and his family. Yeah. And, like, his chosen family. And, yeah. And, you know, he, like, earlier in the movie tells the, uh, I guess the, uh, the madam of the brothel, probably. Yeah. That she doesn't need that dog to protect him because she's implying that he could protect her. Um, the brothel scenes are strange. The brothel scenes are very strange. I feel like brothel scenes are always strange. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like, if it is... When it is, like, a lonely character who has no one and then they go to a brothel, it's it, it makes sense to sort of character wise Mm -hmm. but in this movie we have several people who seem to want to be you know joe to be a part of their life especially like a young beautiful girl who wants to be yeah in a relationship with him and so it is just sort of odd i think he just doesn't want to have i think that he's just kind of a loner yeah and it's easier yeah. To go to a brothel. Which is why he's so reluctant to like to form a genuine connection with somebody. Yeah. Yeah. And so he keeps trying to help Gary and not get too involved. And then, I mean... He's trying to keep himself distanced from a lot of people, but yes. he just can't. Yeah. <laughs> There's a wild monologue in the middle where, like, he is just talking to Adrian about jo- about Gary. Mm-hmm. And, like, how he sees Gary balancing, like, on who he's going to be. And whether he's going to, like, go off and make something of himself or become, like, his dad. And how he feels like he has to help. And of course, like, halfway, I don't even think halfway through this film, we just looked at each other and we're like, Joe's going to die. <laughs> we're like, there. He's getting messed yeah. up in too many things where, like, there's people who are going to come after him for yes. whatever reason. He's got too many irons in the fire. Mm-hmm. And also, like, he already clearly is, it wasn't that he was just, like, if at the beginning he had just been a loner or a bad bird, like, you know, like, you think of the movie, what's that Clint Eastwood movie? Gran Torino. Oh, yeah. You know, you get a lot of movies like that where you have, like, the loner, older man who doesn't want to be a part of anything and has to learn to, like, help people or, you know. Because this movie is kind of Gran Torino. It's kind of Gran Torino, except that he's already, like, a good person, more or less, at the beginning. Yeah. He's already helping people. 
He's just reluctant to help Gary too much and get too involved. Except for Gran Torino, there was never anything particularly wrong with that guy either. I mean, he was racist. He was very racist, but he doesn't stop being racist. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Apparently racism is okay. <laughs> yeah. If you like individuals, it's all right. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and then he like, which also Gran Torino, he dies too, so. Yeah. Um. Spoilers uh, for a 15, 20-year-old movie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, I hated Gran Torino. I liked this movie. Yeah, I didn't like Gran Torino either. Gran Torino felt very conservative. Like, I don't know. You know, it's that like sort of conservative like... Conservative propaganda? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it felt like. Yeah. Um. This movie, there's like... Oh, we do get this moment where at the end when Gary comes back and wants the car... And he's crying and he's beat up because he wants to go save his sister from his dad. And that's, like, the reason Gary sticks around is his mom and his sister. And that's, like, there's, like, a moment where Joe is, like, God, you and you know your so sister creepy. and your mom are all going to come live with me. And it'll be fine. And I was, like, they'll all live together and be happy and be a little family. <laughs> you know what was so creepy about... Um, that guy with the scar on his face was yeah. him remembering that that kid had a sister yeah. for the amount of time that has passed. Uh-huh. And then going after his dad and saying, we can be friends. I think I know something that you... Which I thought, when he had that scene where they, like, start talking to each other, and I was like, oh, no, he's going to say, bring me your son so I can, like, no, get revenge. worse. Somehow. And it was way worse. Because he... Because he was, has, like, like, a mute younger sister who is probably like 11 she is young she stopped talking and they don't know why and i think now we know why <sighs> probably yeah, probably um um and yeah at the beginning when gary beat up the dude it was because like the guy had said something about like oh do you have a sister is she hot and he was like don't you talk about my sister like that and starts beating the crap out of him um and so yeah, like we find out that that Wade delivered the younger sister to B and is charging them to assault her, like in in the back of the truck. And yeah. thank thirty dollars, thirty dollars. It's so rough. It's so it's really upsetting. Yeah, and I am presuming that nothing happened and Joe got there in time because we didn't see it. So that's. That's what I'm taking away from this is before anything happened. And that's my truth. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, because Joe does pull up with Gary and um, gets out of the car and immediately wails on them and these two dudes. And it's like Willie and some other guy. And then Wade's off and like watching from a distance. And unfortunately, Joe lets the other guy go because he doesn't know him. And gets shot by that guy, who then goes to the car and gets a gun, obviously, um, and gets shot a couple times, and then very satisfying end for Willie, though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he gets super dead. Yeah, because he is, like, 
he has this whole speech he does about how he survived going through a, a windshield and like nothing can hurt him now and like as he's doing yeah and you know he does starting that all the up time, anytime yeah that he's like getting to. going on it and joe just shoots him in the face it's great and then you're like fine um and then you think that joe is gonna kill wade he fires a gun from like a foot away and misses him. Yeah, because he is bleeding out. Yeah. <laughs> um, he is bleeding out. I wonder if he missed on purpose. Maybe he did, because it was very close. It was very close range. And then he does try to shoot him again, but he's out of bullets. Yeah. But also, he was so close. And I think that there is like that, like, can I really kill this kid's dad kind yeah. of a thing. Which, um, you know, Wade takes care of that and jumps off the bridge. Yeah. Unexpectedly. Um, which was, he, the line he said, are you my friend? Are you my friend? Is that what he said to the guy before he killed him? That's what he's, yeah, he, he said, are you my friend to Willie? When Willie comes up behind him and is talking to him? Yeah, I knew that was a repeat, but I couldn't remember which interaction it came from. Yeah. Yeah, so he ends up taking his own life. Is that like him regretting what he's done or just like no uh, I think that's probably a person who regrets a lot of things <laughs> it all just sort of is like it became too much or yeah. something yeah it was yeah so you know and um, then, uh, Joe bleeds Joe out bleeds, uh, bleeds out in um, Gary's arms yeah One because Gary co- gets back with the cops just mm-hmm. as he's dying basically yeah and uh, the sheriff is like Joe what have you done yeah uh, Pretty obvious. <laughs> I shot some people. I shot three people. Two people. Two people, yeah. Um, And then the ending I thought was, uh, well, we get like Wade in the car with the dog mm-hmm. driving to work. And now he has a job at uh tree Where farm. they cleared all the farm, all the trees out. Yeah. And so a very cool mirror of the first shot, I thought, mm-hmm. where we've got you know, the same thing where, like, he's sitting there listening now instead of talking, and then we got the back of of the owner's head as he's giving him instructions about, like, this is what I expect, this is how often you get paid, you know, the whole thing, and then they get to work, and that's the end of the film. So, a hopeful ending for Gary, because it seems like because of Joe's sacrifice, he gets to make something of himself and support his family and not live under the shadow of his dad, but Man, was this a was this a sad movie? Yeah, I think he's gonna need many years of therapy. <laughs> oh, he ain't gonna get it. Let me tell you, no. <laughs> not out in not in redneck country. Um, yeah. So, like I said, um, this has a higher rating for critics than for audiences. The Rotten Tomatoes score for critics is eighty six percent. Okay, I was gonna guess like eighty. 86 is pretty solid. Yeah. And then the audience score is 68%. That's actually higher than I thought. Yeah. Still, it's still fresh. It's mm-hmm. just not certified fresh. Not certified. <laughs> certified. <laughs> um, and there's I, a lot of ratings, actually. Oh. Um, this is wild, because I've never heard of this film until, like, we started this podcast. And then, like, he had the interview where he said that this is the character that was most like himself. And he felt like he was acting naked in it. Yeah. What do you make? What do you think about that? Um, I think it's a really vulnerable story. Yeah. And I mean, 
I feel like if this is the character he relates to the most, that's probably pretty much a bad thing. (laughs) (laughs) I, for, the way I saw it, because we've talked about how a lot of these actors in this film are not actors, you know, a lot of them are just people people off the street. Um, And I think that the way that Nick Cage approached this role was like, what if I was in this situation? Yeah. And like, what if I was in this, you know, living this life where I'm trying to do the right thing, but everything is stacked against me. Right. And every time I help someone, something else goes wrong. And I, I'm, I'm taking it as if he put himself in the same situation and then just acted as he would. Mm -hmm. Um, and not as like, I'm in the same mental space as this man, which I truly hope isn't the case. Um, yeah. Do you think that maybe he feels like he is that guy who is always trying to help people even if it's bad for him? I could see... Like, I... Do you think that he feels a parallel in that? Because that's like sort of like the overarching sense of this character. Yes. Is that he like keeps on messing up his own life because... Yeah. You know, he's... <laughs> we don't know a ton of stuff about how Nick Cage lost all his money. He made a lot of bad choices. Yeah. But I also think that there was some stuff where he may have trusted people with his money that were not, that right. did not help him. And I wonder if, like, maybe that he can relate to of, like, yeah, you giving to people and, and thinking the best of them and then, like, ending up in a worse situation than you were in. Yeah. Um... And then also, like, he is, he's from a family of people who are all involved in, like, Hollywood. And so I feel that, like, maybe that is a tough environment to, uh, to trust people in. Oh, probably. Um, so I do think that maybe he found, that's my interpretation yeah. of that. Because obviously in many ways he's had a very privileged life. Yeah. And. No, I don't think that he's ever been in exactly the same position. As... Right. But I do think that, like, he generally seems like a person who tries to do the right thing and also makes bad decisions, which yeah. is Joe as well. That's Joe. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he did have a two-headed snake, so. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't, I feel like, so I have a recommendation for anybody who really wants more things like Joe. Mm. Have you heard of the movie The Florida Project? I know I've told a lot of people about this movie because I think it's like one of the best movies I've ever seen. I think I've heard of it. So The Florida Project is really good. Um, but it is a film that the majority of the cast is people who were like regular people. Like the mm. main... Uh, like, one of the lead actresses was somebody that the director of the film saw, like, on Instagram or something. Like, he was doing, like, Instagram videos or something. Like, some kind of social media, whatever. The only actor who this isn't, like, their first thing is Willem Dafoe is in it. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. Um, it's about these people who live in a motel in Orlando, Florida, or outside of Disney World. Okay. And, you know, they're very poor and... Um, it's kind of similar in that, like, it's kind of just people trying to survive. Yeah. Um, and it really centers around this little girl and her friends who are all children. Mm -hmm. Um, but you get to see, um, 
it just like has so many like ups and downs where sometimes it's like oh man these kids are just being kids and they really feel like kids and they're just yeah. playing and having a good time and then something like devastating will happen Yay. <laughs> um, but it's like it's honestly it's one of my favorite movies that i've seen and um feels similar to this movie mm. um and it also like i said has that sort of element of having a lot of like local talent involved yes. in it and everything yeah. um and so i recommend it my similar recommendation would be fish tank if you've uh ever heard of that it's a british film british indie film i don't know this one um from 2009 it's the first thing i think i one of the first things i ever saw michael fassbender in um but it is sort of similarly about a girl a teenage girl who's growing up in like the projects of london and like poor family you dad's not around mom is is also an addict and just like trying to make something of herself it's sort of like this story but told you know mm-hmm. like if it had been told through gary's point of view mm-hmm. you know um that's all but again a rough movie to watch yeah. <laughs> these are all rough movies to watch um in like content warning for uh sexual assault and that um or co i should say coerced um yeah so anyway those are our bleak recommendations yeah. of very good films yeah. <laughs> it did i will say this about this film um maybe the best that i think nick cage has looked in a long time yeah, you said something about that when we were watching it. We were like, he looks a little bit gruffer than he usually does, and yeah. he's still the best-looking person Oh, in the for film. sure. <laughs> but I mean, like, he looks very natural in this film. He does. But also, like, he looks a like fit, just a guy. Like a fit 50-year-old with a receding hairline and a very full beard. He looks and, like, like, kind of, like, bulky in a good way. Yeah, when one. he's shirtless, I was like, okay, Nick, like... His he shoulders looks, are... He's got big shoulders. He looks like fit in a realistic person way. Yeah. Like a person who just has a... Who a, spends all day axing trees. Yes. You know? <laughs> yeah. And his hair, like, doesn't... Wasn't colored, you know, artificially. No. And, I, and I was just like... No, he, he just, just looks, looks like a good-looking, good like, 50-year-old. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, good for you. Um, Thought we might go without seeing him have sex, but sadly, that was not the case. <laughs> to be fair i don't think we saw him have like sex sex no we didn't well there's the one scene in the brothel yeah he um, gets a blowjob i did have an existential crisis when he came up this well i thought they cut to him having sex and that was another man but it was like bare ass oh yeah that was another sex dude. and i was yeah. like no and then i went oh there's some other guy there's somebody else it's all right <laughs> It's I don't not, care about that guy. It's not Nicholas Cage's butt. <laughs> he did make out with Yoga Adrian, and that was that was a little rough to watch for me. It's just noisy. It was a noisy makeout scene, and I don't like those. I don't like noisy makeout no. scenes in movies either. Yeah, the, so. the noises are a little like icky, slurpy sometimes. Yes. Yeah. And I don't, uh, yeah. In in our mutual we're mutual fans of the podcast magnus archives Mm -hmm. and there's an interview with them where fans asked you know like when are these two main characters going to kiss and they're like do you know what kissing sounds like like when you're trying to do special effects on a podcast it's disgusting (laughs) they're going over all the different ways you could try and do it and they're like i can't i hate that (laughs) so i yeah i don't think most of us like the noises no. The syrupy noises. <laughs> Kissing noises are bad. 
Uh, hey. Yeah? What, um, what's going on inside the cage? <laughs> so, um, today? Today. It's the 21st of January, right? It sure is. We're talking to you from the past. Uh, an article came out in Far Out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> on the internet. Um, Nicolas Cage reveals his five favorite movies. Um, favorite with a U, so I think this is a British Ooh. publication. Um, five favorite movies. And, um, I, Liz doesn't know what they are. No, I, hmm, let me... Okay. They are, when you hear what they are, they all make sense yes. for somebody who is, like, very into, like, capital C cinema. Sure. Um, I, Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, is it on the list? Is not on the <gasps> list. Oh, And he cited that as one of his favorites before. Yes. Um, like, even in, like, the Reddit AMA, I think he mentioned that one as yeah. one of his favorites. But, you know, people's favorite movies change yeah, all the time. Yeah, if people ask me, I am always changing. Yeah. Um, hmm... This is tough. Okay, so is there a Western on there? No. Not a not a Western Western. Okay. Um are they all American films? Um English language films? They're all English language films. Okay. Is there a Scorsese on the list? No. Oh. There is are there actually, Coppola? there are five films. Okay. There are only three directors. I will give you that clue. Mm, interesting. Is his uncle on the list? No. Oh. Um, is there a Tarantino? No. These are all, I, I will give you another clue. Please give me clues, because otherwise we're just going to sit here for an hour while There I are go. only three directors on this list of five films. Uh-huh. Um... And all of them came out prior to 1975. Ooh, okay. The most recent one, I guess I'll give you, is 1971. That's the most recent. The Graduate. No. Are there mobster films? No. Romance. Yeah. Okay. Are they mostly like drama? Give me another clue. Um, two of them are science fiction. Oh. One of them is like a weird science fiction, but I think it's still science fiction. Not everyone would call it science fiction, though, maybe. Are they horror? Any horror? Uh, the one that I'm like not sure if it's technically science Mm. fiction also has some parts that I'm like, that's kind of horrifying. Interesting. <laughs> um, Forbidden Planet? No. Uh, no, and I will also say all of these are, like, movies that you, maybe you haven't seen, but you've heard of them. Yeah. I don't know, man. I'm <laughs> just gonna start naming films and we'll be here for an hour. The oldest movie is 1939. 1939. Okay, it's... Oh, that's horror. Is Hitchcock on there? No. Oh, I bet Howard Hawks is on there. Nope. No? Uh-oh. <laughs> maybe I don't know. <laughs> I Maybe I don't know any directors. <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I'm flailing. What's another? 
Um, one of the films is a, an adaptation. Actually, that could be a good clue. Three of these are adaptations of books. Oh. Two of them, I'm, actually, and three are adaptations of novels. One is an adaptation of a play. And then the other one, I think, is original. But I am not. Don't quote me on it. Um, uh, who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Uh, <laughs> Glenn Carey, Glenn Ross. That's too late. Never mind. That's too late. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we'll have to see how interesting this guessing game is. That's why I have to like, cut out half of it. I'm like, you guys, this is not going well. Liz doesn't know any movies. <laughs> um, play along at home. Play along at home. What Tell us how much sooner you got these there? than Liz. Ooh. Ooh, Citizen Kane. No. Is, is, um... Wells is not one of them. Wells directors. isn't on here either? There's only three directors. I've named, I've named all the directors I'm, I know that are from... I will give you... It happened one night. No. I'll give you the most obvious of the directors. Singing in the Rain. No. <laughs> um, the Apartment. The most obvious of the directors on this list is yeah. Stanley Kubrick. Okay. So, obviously not The Shining. Oh, Space Odyssey. Yes. 2001 Space Odyssey is that, on there. That's on there. Yeah. Is, is he the one who has more than one movie? Stanley Kubrick? Yeah. He has more on than the one list. movie. Yeah. Okay. Oh, boy. Um... And the, you were correct. The Shining's not one. No, because that's that one's that's horror, horror for and sure. that's also from eighty one, I believe. Um, what about? Uh, oh man, I forgot Kubrick's other films. Um, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. No, but that is Kubrick. I'm pretty sure. <sighs> Clockwork Orange. Yes. Really? Yeah, that's one of them. Oh, that's the one that I couldn't decide if it was sci-fi yeah. or horror. That is sort a of like a of dystopian. And it's mostly dystopian, and it's a little, yeah, I can see how you could put it in either category. Um, is there any animated films on the list? No animated films. Okay. Uh, is there any Chaplin films on the list? No Chaplin. One of them is a classic Marlon Brando film. Oh. Oh, The Waterfront? Stella. The I- oh god. Oh my god. Um Streetcar Named Desire. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> Obviously. I don't even know how many I've gotten. You've gotten three. <laughs> I've gotten three. Uh the other one by the same director that did a streetcar named desire has um uh shoot, what's his name? Uh I just looked it up. Oh, uh, uh James Dean. Rebel Without a Cause. No. One of his other three movies. Rebel Without a Cause is the only one I've seen. Um, this one's an adaptation of yeah. a book. Uh-huh. And it's got James Dean. Came out in the 50s because all of James Dean's movies came out in the yeah. 50s. He only made three films. Yeah. Um, I forgot. I forgot. It's uh, East of Eden. East of Eden. And then the last one. Yeah. Is it, is, is the, is Casablanca? No, that's a good guess. This Uh director is the one that's by himself because East of Eden and Streetcar Named Desire are both Elia Kazan. Oh. Um, 
I didn't know that. The last one is the oldest one on the list. I'm 39. 39. And um, I guarantee you saw this movie when you were a kid. Wizard of Oz. Yes. Oh! Interesting choice. Yeah. Right. I, I, that's the one that surprises me the most. Yeah, I feel like if you're like a cinema person, Wizard of Oz is important because it's the first color one. Yes. Um, I, I think it's the a others, good time. I yeah, know. I don't know. The others kind of make sense to me because like Humphrey Bogart... Uh, no, not Humphrey Bogart. Sorry, Marlon Brando. Marlon Brando makes sense as an influence. Yes, as an influence for him. I know he likes James Dean. Um, the uh, the Kubricks kind of caught me Kubrick's off guard a little bit. Interesting too. But, you yeah. know, I I you know yeah generally thought of as one of the great directors of all time. Yeah, it reminds me a couple weeks ago people were for I think it was Sight and Sound did the like asked a bunch of directors what their top ten movies were. Mm-hmm. And, like, people were getting roasted for just, like, naming, like, the top, you know, like, yeah. giving your sort of, like, Citizen Kane and, like, Wizard yeah, of Oz Yeah, none of these are stuff. obscure. They're no. all pretty. It's, it feels very, like, intro to film kind of thing. It does. But, like, I respect Here's that. something. Because I feel like a lot of people just name obscure things that it's you're, just like. just to be obscure. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a red flag if your favorite movie is Clockwork Orange. Yeah, that is a little rough. That one's the one that worries me the most on the list, to be that honest. Like, might be a little bit. When like I said Clockwork Orange, it was like, Clockwork Orange? It was Clockwork Orange. Uh, I don't love that. Um, great performance from Malcolm Gladwell, though. Yeah. Yeah. Is that his name? Malcolm... Malcolm Gladwell. Malcolm Gladwell is an inspirational speaker. Malcolm McDowell. (laughs) He scares me. Malcolm Gladwell. (laughs) Oh Oh, boy. I'd watch that. What what an episode. (laughs) (laughs) What an episode this has been. (laughs) Yeah, like I said, I'm probably... Shorten you that gotta shorten that. I truly like, like after uh, I named after I named the ones that I thought I knew, and you were like, "No," I was like, "Uh oh, <laughs> we're gonna be here a while." Not Doctor Caligari. No, it wasn't that. And then when I was naming directors, then you were like, "They're not on the list." I'm like, "Uh oh, <laughs> I've forgotten all the rest of the directors." Um, and if it's not horror, I'm not great at old movies, so. Yeah. But you got Clockwork Orange and 2001 A Space Odyssey and Wizard of Oz. (laughs) Just a little bit of help. (laughs) After several clues, but that's okay. There's a lot of movies to choose There's a lot of movies, guys. It's the new tagline of the podcast. (laughs) There's a lot of movies. There's a lot of movies, truck. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. What a day it's been. Uh, Next week is, or next time. Next time. Is Weatherman. I think so, yeah. Yeah, Weatherman. Yeah. We'll do that one next time. Yeah. Oh, just in case you were wondering, we're holding off for a little while on the old way because we don't want to pay $20 to stream it and it's not showing in any of our local theaters anymore. We missed it. We, we missed, missed it. it. So we're going to have to come back to that one. Um, maybe that'll be, once we finish this run of movies, that one will be more available. Yeah. It is streaming, but it's... You know, uh, $20 is a lot to rent a movie. Guys, listen, Venmo us $20 and we'll watch it. Venmo us $20. (laughs) All right. You guys stay cagey out there. Bye. Bye. Hey, Joe. Oh, God damn. (laughs) What? All the time.
Hey, make the voice a little lower and the band a little louder, okay? Make the 